You have been recognized. Let's say by one of your opposite numbers, who is also licensed to kill. Oh, that interesting car of yours. <laughs> I too have a new toy, but considerably more practical. You are looking at an industrial laser, which emits an extraordinary light not to be found in nature. It can project a spot on the moon, or at closer range, cut through solid metal. I will show you. This is gold, Mr. Bond. All my life I've been in love with its color, its brilliance, its divine heaviness. I welcome any enterprise that will increase my stock, which is considerable. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Ginger Flicks. I'm Joey. And I'm Josh. Josh, what movie did we watch this time around? Wow, not even like the hello, no. how are you doing? No, we're just going to jump right in. <laughs> we'll do that after. Just let people know. They're in doing, the bench. We're doing the Austin Powers ripoff, Goldfinger. <laughs> Goldfinger or Goldmember, which one? Goldfingered. Ooh. <laughs> That's the triple X version. We're doing sensual (laughs) classic. Oh my goodness. So good. Yes. Sean Connery classic classic bond. Yes, sir. Classic bond. Good old Sean Connery in honor of, I guess this is our little homage to him, right? Considering he's, recently passed on sad to say rest in peace and all that oh boy one of the greats one of the greats now we've done a bond movie in the past we've done uh what was die another day yeah oh good oh oh boy uh so this is our second bond movie in the in in ginger flicks history and um Let's just uh, mention again, Josh, are you like a super big Bond fan or, you know, sort of a casual fan? Uh, I, I guess I'd be casual fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up, I think we had talked about it the last time. First one I remember seeing in theaters was Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember watching all the Connery, the Roger Moore Bonds, as a kid, I don't think I ever saw any of the Timothy Dalton ones. 
there's only two like i um on the other end of that i'm a pretty much a big fan and i will post some yeah. of my uh bond stuff this week on ginger oh, yeah bond <laughs> is like your thing man yeah i've i've read pretty much all the books um i have a bunch of pop toys and i have pretty much every single i think i have every movie except for the one that is yet to be released <laughs> but, nerd yeah basically right <laughs> so um yeah nerd! let's not go through your comic collection <laughs> shut up <laughs> so yeah getting full into this we uh we watched uh goldfinger mainly just because this is my favorite of the sean connery uh bonds yeah. out of the six i believe that he's done yeah i thought you would have liked octopussy yeah, but that wasn't with Sean Connery, though. Sorry, I meant Moonraker. Again, that wasn't with Sean Connery. Sorry, I, I meant World is Not Enough. <laughs> that might have had Sean Connery. I'm not sure. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> I meant Quantum of Solace. That's the arguably one. the best Bond ever made. Or the most forgettable, maybe. Either way. Aren't all of them forgettable, though? Let's... They can be, and they are quite formulaic when you really think about it. They're almost as bad as the Marvel Universe. No. That's true. They are. The Marvel Universe is way more formulaic than the Bond films. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? So let's get into Glad this. Us, Black Widow. <laughs> Hasn't even come out yet. Neither has the other Bond films, really. Uh, oh yeah. boy oh boy oh boy so yeah let's uh get fully into it so josh uh what are your your thoughts um yeah so honestly this would have been like the first time i think i would have seen this in nearly 30 years i remember watching it like when i was seven maybe mm -hmm. having like a bond marathon so i mean it's funny because there's certain things about it that, I mean, besides it just being a Bond film, like the yeah. actual, just the film aspect of it, it kind of takes you back because this was made in the 60s, right? 64 so, to be precise, yeah. So, yeah, so the 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 filming itself, you know, it's done on what, 8 millimeter or yeah. whatever it is. And, you know, it's it, it just has such an aesthetic, like, classic feel like that opening shot of florida right yeah you know it's like i love that i don't know it made me really want to be there that kind of thing well I, that's the one thing about like i think in any bond film they do take a moment to give you that full establishing sort of setup and everything like that right like especially because they definitely made made it a point with these movies to actually go to these locations. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I love, and so it's got a very surreal vintage quality about it, which mm -hmm. is so good because it is like, it just, this is how long the series has been around. It's been around for like almost 60 years at this point. Right. Uh, just over 50, um, maybe 60 in like another two or three years. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like almost 60 yeah. years this thing has been going, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it, that's kind of a testament to its, you know, uh, 
draw factor or whatever? Yeah. I mean, think of it this way, though. I mean, in uh, in this era, in the 60s, there was pretty much a Bond film almost being pumped out annually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's the craziest no, they, thing. No, there would have been, like, two years, at least. Well, this is also Connery's third as James Bond. So, if you think about that, I think Dr. No was at most 1962 right so and then you know from russia with love comes out in 63 so there was a bond film released from 1962 to 1964 annually yeah and that's that's i mean so so maybe at this time we don't know what it would have been like in terms of the audience or anything but what was kind of cool is you watch these kind of movies, you know, and so this would have been his third one, and he's kind of into the character now. He's mm-hmm. like his stride. He knows how a character would behave. He knows how Bond... Like he, he's starting to know the character inside and out, you know, oh, and totally. you really feel that. Like, he's oh, not... Oh, yeah. He just has that gravitas, that charisma. He doesn't look like he's acting or saying... Like, he's just... He's embodying the character in such Which, a way that to this day, every single actor who portrays the role is ultimately going to be compared to him. Right? From, you know, even Lazenby was definitely compared to him and probably would have continued with the role had he not walked away. And then as much as people love Roger Moore, there's always the Moore versus Connery discussion. And it's the same thing where Timothy Dalton, the first one he gets compared to above all of them is still Sean Connery. Same thing with Pierce and the same thing with Daniel Craig. And it will be the same with whomever takes up the role yeah. after Daniel Craig. Like, well, I think at this point, whoever takes it after Daniel Craig will be compared to him. Well, He's it not- doesn't matter. But my point is it doesn't matter who takes off after the role. It's always, they'll always receive comparisons to the original yeah it'll Regardless. be it's like the original and the current exactly right so like it's not going to be compared to pierce brosnan or uh you know timothy dalton or roger moore well, no it, it it always like it's always that flip of you know the um, the new bond will always be compared to his predecessor and sean connery yeah right yeah <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, it, that's just kind of how it is. It's like the next Superman will be compared to Christopher Reeve and like Henry Cavill, but not Brandon Routh or Dean Kane or anything like that. You know, same thing with Batman, Michael Keaton. Well, actually, I don't know. It'd be like Michael Keaton, Christian Bale, and Ben Affleck, I think. But I don't I think, think about a little bit different though. I don't think it's. I don't think Batman has that same sort of stout or tout that like say playing superman or james bond does at least right now anyways i think it's just the fact with batman you had michael well i mean you had he's had such variations over the last like even 30 years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. between burton's batman to you know schumacher's batman to Nolan's Batman to Snyder's Batman, right? There's been a huge jump. Mm-hmm. So it's like, obviously, we have Robert Pattinson come out, and 
he will be, I think he'll be compared mostly to Christian Bale, not even Ben Affleck. Cause he's going to be a different Batman than that. You know, that's another thing too. And, and I'm, uh, it's interesting that you bring up that remark with Batman anyways, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk more on Batman when we actually do a Batman movie. Yeah, yeah, I know. Kind of went off. <laughs> yeah, we we went we went off. Tangent. Tangent. But uh, again, we uh, we kind of went off on tangent on the point of that um, whoever does take up the Bond role will ultimately end up being compared to the originator of the character, the original actor to portray the character, which yeah. is John Connery. Which you know, I think if I can't, if I remember correctly, even Fleming needed convincing on mm-hmm. whether or not Sean was the right choice. I yeah, and it's weird because yeah, you look at you look at him, Sean Connery in this role, and it's like like I said, it's just there. It doesn't seem there's no acting required. He just he's just speaking the text, and he's he, he just embodies the, the character at this point. Just, that's career. it. He's not acting. He's like that's how you be. If you put Sean Connery as a secret spy that's it that's that's him right there that's the goal yeah so that's the benchmark and 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 arguably nowadays almost every single secret spy type movie does get this comparison to him yeah right british spy yeah yeah let's say and even though you he doesn't he doesn't do anything to mask his accent he doesn't try and be british no no he just be scottish it's weird how like Pierce Brosnan, he doesn't put on an Irish accent, but he goes, he he puts on his English or British accent, right? Yeah, right. But uh, Sean Connery's like, nah, no, no, no. Well, it's funny. It's funny because of Sean Connery, it's been changed now in canon, at least in the films anyways, that James Bond is actually Scottish. And that was in Skyfall. Really? Yeah, I like in I totally in, forgot in, the, about that. in the books or anything. There's no mention of his actual like lineage, so to speak, of where he's actually from or anything like that. From what mm-hmm. I remember reading, but in Skyfall, they like Skyfall Manor is in Scotland. Hmm. <laughs> so that's why that's the, the whole. That's literally the whole reason behind that is just basically paying paying homage to Sean Connery, who you know is scott or sorry was scottish hmm, interesting yeah it's pretty wild when you really think about it so anyways let's get back into this movie after being on this wild tangent of all kinds of other stuff so josh um watching this what did you think going through everything because you and i have had a really interesting conversation in the last little while mm-hmm. just specifically about this movie and certain things that we noticed um in the performances compared so the biggest one for me was the dynamic between m and bond you know because arguably you don't see this kind of dynamic now you know it's like like i said the first one the one i can recall the most are the pierce brosnan bonds right along with like from my childhood and then of course you know the daniel craig ones being the most current and the main M has been Judy Dench, right? And <clears throat> anytime you have a male and a female character. That that being said, to your point, um, other than the actor we see playing M in 
Goldfinger, I think there was only one other actor to play that character before Judy Dench. Oh yeah. Right. How, how many well, times did this guy gold uh was he M? I think he was in most of them up until like after up until Timothy Dalton. Mm. So he was in all of the bonds aside from the one they did that competed the one that's not canon, which is never say never. Right. Again. But other than that, I think it's been the same actor who has been M throughout Hmm. Bernard Lee. Okay. Right. So So, yeah. Continue. No. So, I mean, I was just going to say, it's like, I mean, okay. We just live in a different age now. Right. Yeah. But growing up, you know, you always were told respect your elders, you know, respect your elders. You go to, you're at a, you're in a job, you respect your boss. Like, that's it. You know, like, you don't, I mean, unless your boss deliberately disrespects you or something, you just respect your boss. You respect your teachers, you respect your superiors. And like, that's just the way it is, right? That's, and now sometimes we're kind of in this age where people have to challenge everything. Mm-hmm. And so, especially and, when you and add just for the, a, the sake of challenging, too. Yeah, just for the sake of challenging, but also the fact that you, if you, if you have um, opposite genders, right? And you know, I don't want to get into whole topic, right? Yeah, trans or anything like that. But just straight up, male and female, Bond being the male, M being the female. Mm-hmm. When you had Pierce Brosnan, who arguably at that point was a more um experience bond yeah right? like and much more he, established so to speak he flirted with m he he antagonized her sometimes he um he went out of his way to rebel against her sometimes he borderline insubordinate in in a few instances oh, yeah. right even just and, verbally and, and then you saw the same thing with daniel craig's bond who is a younger bond mm-hmm Right. So again, he doesn't know his place, but even still, he's a grown man. It's not like he's a child. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a little, hey. Right? But, but he's still a grown man, but he's testing. He's pushing her buttons. He's, he, and he's flirting with her at times because that's just kind of a dynamic. Like, first of all, that's Bond's character. But right. Where he, they have him flirting with any female in his vicinity, which is true. Yeah. But, but they're it, always, I mean, I remember one of my teachers saying in scene study, you know, when there is like straight characters, opposite genders, there's always some sort of sexual attraction or chemistry or motivation in the scene, even if it's not like actual, like, you know, there is probably a part of M, the female virgin that could be attracted to Bond. Is that is that sort of now now changing it up uh, in terms of questioning and sort of getting you to explain that a little bit more? Now is that just sort of what has been explained to you via just the way most scenes are um, uh, built? It's designed, so to speak, where there's always that weird underlying possible sexual tension between male and female characters yeah. regardless of relationship or anything like that. I, yeah, for whatever I, it, reason in in any sort of piece of written work yeah yeah i think it's it's 
you know, again, I'm trying to recall because it's been so long since I've been. Right. Yeah. You haven't been a student for quite a while. But, but <laughs> I, I just recall that conversation being had that regardless of the actual relationship between right. two characters, sex or anything like that could be a factor in the driving in driving the conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So that's why. But I mean, obviously, um like she's not right it just it doesn't even no, matter not no it doesn't but, yeah it's not even the point but the reason why i bring that up though is because bond uses different tactics with female m to to get a i don't know to bend the rules to get past it's it's much more of a different power dynamic between the oh, two characters 100%. With, with comparison to bernard lee's m and we say this right off the bat like from when we were watching it, we were both yeah. we were both amazed because again, our main comparison out of what we know now, out of all the bonds that we've watched and sort of grown up with, M uh, Judy Dench has been M for yeah. pretty much the majority of you know us going to the movies and seeing, of our movie going experience of yeah. our movie going experience, right? But you know, because. Again, Goldfinger was also the first, not Goldfinger, <laughs> Golden Eye was also the first Bond I saw in theaters, right? Because that's mm -hmm. when it came out. I was yeah. like old enough to go. We weren't going to see, like, what was the last Timothy Dalton one in like 89? A, a, a view to a, a no, sorry, a License to Kill. Yeah, and I think that was, I think that was 89, so, right? Or I'll like, double 80? check it. But the point is, neither of us were old enough to go see that one. Yeah, your parents aren't going to take a four or five year old to go see a Bond movie at that time. A ten year old, sure, you know, nine yeah. year old, sure. But yeah, and exactly, we noticed that right away. Yeah, right, that, it was eighty nine. Sorry. Yeah, so we noticed that right away in that, um, he, there was already the established relationship that Bond wasn't even trying to disrespect him. I think he says one line to to test the waters in and, and that M just gives him a look and immediately like he just Oh yeah. Uh, oh I, like it starts Bond. off with because because like M first thing he says cuz it was a whole discussion on how uh the the girl gets killed with paint and he's like, well, it doesn't matter because this isn't a personal vendetta for you. You're going on a mission. You have a job to do, and that's it, right? And yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, there's that. It was like right off the bat. It was just no. You have a job to do, and you're going to do it no matter what I'm telling you or what yeah. you're trying to say. Basically, that was that was exactly it. And it was all conveyed in that look. Yeah. It was just don't push my button, like there's a couple factors number one like that's back in the age i mean again it might be different hey we don't know we're not military we're not spies we're not part of any sort of regardless i don't think i don't think the cavalier attitude that they have allowed bond to have in newer iterations of the character would actually fly yeah in in that sort of scenario still yeah I mean, it is still technically a military, you know, intelligence operation. Yeah. Just because he is suave and cool. And this is what I, and now that you mention it, it kind of just shows just the way that Bond has sort of evolved into, like, with Sean Connery's Bond, specifically with this 
small scene because we're breaking down just the one scene between him and M. We haven't even gotten through the movie yet, you know, where it's just so interesting. And the fact that that power dynamic is so different in the sense where he is just sort of like M is sitting there and he has all control in that entire scene, no matter what he owns the scene, he owns it. Yeah. Again, I remember, I remember vividly and I know, I talked about it a little bit, but I remember taking my first like scene study class, you know, and uh, our teacher, Rosanna and our, the TA, M. John, they literally did a demonstration on, on power dynamics without saying a word. And they would, they would stand or sit in a, or move their body in a certain way. And they'd be like, who has the power in the scene without any context? And that's in with this one. Exactly. M is looking at a paper. And Bond is standing like straight, like at attention. And you tell M has all the power and he's not even trying his body language. He's just reading his, his notes. And then that's it. He gives Bond a look like there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. M is the leader. He is in control. He's got power and Bond isn't even trying to take it away. No. Not in not one bit, and it's just it's it's amazing because again, like we've gone through this the last little while about this specific thing, and it's just it's amazing to see how much they've changed that. Where you say it is with Pierce Brosnan and Judy Dench, let's do that one specifically. Um, it's almost like a dance of who's controlling power in the scenes. And it's a back and forth sort of repartee, if you will. I guess it's weird. Yeah, a hundred percent. There is more constantly of, trying to take the power in the scenes from her, just from yeah. how he responds and his body language and how he is. And it's funny because, like Judy Dench, she already is a commanding presence as well. Right? Oh yeah. You, she's not someone you'd want to mess with. But because of the way the Bond character is, they had to write his interactions with a male bond, a male M versus a female M. And even still, even though she is his superior, he's still, he's still, there's still a banter. But she is always trying to rein him in. Ultimately, she does have the power, but he has more opportunity to, to take it, which is very strange. But you wouldn't see usually with, you know, superiors regardless of gender. No, and now, if anything, nowadays, it would almost be the flip, right? The female subordinate would feel cavalier enough to speak to a male superior like that. I don't know about that, but okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying, like, nowadays there is more i mean because we're in this era of me too we want to see females in power which is great oh, okay that's what you're trying to say it's no. it's a bit more of a so, it's a bit more of an equality thing in terms of just power dynamic yeah but it so it would almost be more i would say like move movie acceptable that makes more sense. Like, I'm, like, I don't mean in the real world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in, like, okay. I'm All right. About, I get what you're saying now. Yeah. About, yeah. I'm just talking about in movies. Like, real world, this doesn't matter. Whoever your superior is, superior, superior is, male, female, 
trans, gay, straight. It doesn't matter. They're you your should sp- be showing them respect regardless. You, that's it. Like, I don't understand when people don't get that because that's, that's every race, gender. Like, there's always the young buck mm-hmm. trying to, yeah, you know, trying to wrestle the superior. Oh, no, it, it's, it, it is what it is, right? But, but in but the you- movies is what I mean. The movies, you will have now the old man the old man and it'll be the young female that will you know like we kind of discussed it in like men in black the new, yeah the i get new, what you're saying yeah right okay. Where it's like she knows everything and you have to kind of be like oh it's true yeah you know? i get i get what you're saying it's you know? it's the old just being having mystical powers without really earning any yeah thing along the so, way sort of thing. but it and Which then, unfortunately, is what's happening in movies right now, and it's kind of upsetting and kind of weird. And yeah, it just. But then now we talked about this. You have the new M, which is Ray Fines, and you have, yes. them, and they are and the power dynamic shifts back to the way it r- was in the originals. It's, but there is more almost a cavalier attitude because they are closer in age. Possibly, like they, maybe the character is supposed to be younger, <laughs> right? Daniel Craig is 50, Ray Fiennes is 60. There's 10 years. That's it. Mm-hmm. At that, and at that age, if it was like 20 to 30, big difference. You know, 30 to 40, big difference. But 50 to 60, you're close. And it's more like 55 almost to like 60. Or right. Whatever. Yeah, they're a lot closer in so age. They're than... like buddies that will go out to a bar and have a drink, even though he's his superior. It's to be like, let's go hang out after, you know? Yeah. Where, where the old one, this Goldfinger, that M is like in his 60s and this Bond is in his 30s. Like clear generation gap, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that it, I guess it was, I mean, we've gone on this long topic about it, but it was kind of strange and cool to just see, uh, you know, uh, a superior, like the the... I don't know. I guess the roles were just so clear and the way the dialogue was written, it was so, it was almost refreshing, but very old. You know? Yeah, really old school is what you're trying to say, sort of thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. It's just, it's it's very, it was just very different to see it, right? Comparatively to, you know, the way things are now in Bond films. Yeah. Yeah. But moving forward. Anything moving else? forward i know we have yeah. <laughs> we're, we've know, gone we've gone quite a bit on this topic but it, it's sort of interesting to see because you i mean you don't really get the chance or i never really thought about it till you mentioned it where it it is interesting interesting to see how specifically with this character right this character of james bond and how they've still shown some way in this world anyways in the modern era show how he still kind of doesn't respect a woman in power in that sense right he's a lot more defiant with judy dench's m than he would be with any other m it was almost like like a a very weird parallel but almost like michael scott in the office with jan you know jan's his superior but he like any other boss the way he spoke to her would be fired, like period. That's it. Yeah. Any other, any other subordinate with the way he spoke. Yeah. It's sort of the same way. I mean, 
hell, like, you know, Daniel Craig's Bond sneaks into her house, for God's sake. Yeah. And I didn't, and it's weird because I didn't like her reaction because, again, this is an experienced, because obviously she had to have been some sort of field agent. An experienced intelligence agent in general. She has to have some training. up on like that. Yeah. So, and yeah, she gets, you know, snuck up on and, and surprised where it should have been. She knew he was there. Get out of my house. You know, it's like they went a little for, this was a casino Royale, right? I, it was one of the early ones. So yeah, I think it was casino Royale. So they, they again <clears throat> are really trying to show that bond is going above and beyond to take the power from M. Again, I can't remember if it was in his own place or her place in Skyfall. It's a completely opposite reaction. But she's also like, you got to stop doing this. But I, th- I think at that point, it's, I guess maybe that's it. At that point, she, he's done it already. So she's like, knock it off. Yeah, I I have to rewatch Skyfall again. I don't remember the exact exchange, but I think that's along the lines of what it was. (laughs) But yeah, Uh, moving on. uh, There was so much. We we joked about it, but you know the blatant misogyny in in this just because it's the sixties. Oh my gosh, man talk. (laughs) Oh man, it was so bad. Oh, I mean, uh. I would say though that's the only one. Like besides the fact that he's a player, or whatever with women. See, I don't know. That doesn't bother me. I've never been a player like at all. No, yeah, no, no. like not even close. I'm the exact opposite (laughs) of that. But the point is, it's like I never felt in this movie because you know they joke about it on Family Guy, you or whatever Simpsons or anything like that. That he's like so aggressive. You know, oh, he is 50 no's and one yes. I mean, no, like, it, I feel like this is the movie that really pushes it, especially that scene with Pussy Galore in the in the hay. That little fight scene. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, he's really pushing for it there. She didn't say no, I don't know. Like, <laughs> she kicked him. That's true. That that's saying no. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, I guess yeah, she did that. That's that's a that's a physical no. That's if you come away with the bruise after making an advance on a woman, that's a no. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You're right on that one. Unless Uh-oh. unless it's only after she says yes, and then that's something you're both into. It's still a no. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> But there was like, this is one of the worst ones for it out of the Connery ones for sure. And then the other thing too, and if you go looking at the Roger Moore bonds, he's actually a lot more physical and aggressive with women. Really? Oh yeah. There's a few bond. There's a few ones with Roger Moore where he actually slaps women around. So, (laughs) but But yeah, like, no, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, got, yeah, you got nothing. It's, I got nothing. Alone. It's not for fun, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. He's, he's trying to get thing. information. But even then, Conry didn't do it that way. I, um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it was, 
Yeah, I guess he was kind of aggressive in this one for sure. Kind of. Uh, yeah. What yeah. gets me, and so it they don't convey this in the film, but in the novel, Pussy Galore is a lesbian, which is why all of her pilots are women and all this stuff, right? And it's just, and just, it's kind of disturbing at least to someone of a modern sensibility, what Ian Fleming's thoughts of homosexuality and lesbians were. It's, it's really upsetting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he basically, essentially, he's written Pussy Galore in to say that all lesbians need is the affections of a man and they'll go back to being straight is basically what he says in the book and it kind of and if you don't know the character is a lesbian right in in the movie you don't think about it but the fact that you know i know that and i kind of told you this kind of makes their whole exchange in general that more upsetting and kind of disturbing when you think about it right because then because realistically, that whole moment where they, you know, have sex in the uh, barn is the whole reason as to why she comes back. And so she calls Felix to save the day. If she doesn't do that, Bond essentially does nothing in this film because he goes from being. He goes from being uh, trapped to just, you know, he's like one step behind in every moment of this movie. And it's really just one of the main things that concerned Connery even during production, where he was gotten to the point that he was getting fed up with the character that Bond was always so far behind in terms of knowing anything. He was like four steps behind of anybody. Right, right. Yeah. But it's, and it's, that's kind of been a Bond trope. Oh, it is. And that's one of Connery. Well, that was one of Sean Connery's biggest complaints about doing the character after essentially after this one kind of like tipped it over because the next the next Bond movie doesn't come out till 1967. And, you know, looking at this era of Bond where you have a movie coming out annually, that's a big gap of like three years to not have a Bond movie. Right. So there, there, there in lies where sort of at that point, they obviously started to have a lot of disputes between Connery and, you know, uh, Cubby Broccoli. Right. To which is also one of the reasons why, you know, he walked away when he did the first time. Because Mm. I think it was like he was contracted for one more movie and I think he wanted like, a million dollars or something for it. And they sort of worked out some sort of deal, but he's like, this is it. This is my last one. I'm not doing any more after this. Then they get Lazenby and Lazenby walks away. And I think they literally pulled up to Sean Connery's house with a truckload of money saying, please come do another one till we can find your replacement. Mm. So, yeah. That's crazy. That's old Hollywood, man. Old Hollywood. It's also new Hollywood, considering yeah. they've, they've done, done the same, same thing for Daniel, Daniel Craig. Craig. Yeah. Dan- <laughs> but it would have been like trucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And jets. Don't forget jets. 
but yeah, they basically kept asking Daniel Craig to come back too. Cause Daniel Craig has been saying since Casino Royale, pretty much that I don't know if I want to do another one of these movies. <laughs> right. It's just yeah. like, especially now the way they make bonds now compared to what they did in the sixties, like Daniel Craig goes through hell and back in these, in these movies, he takes a beating, you know, and in the sixties, they probably use stunt doubles a lot more, but I mean, they don't do it now. So that's why bond productions are as long as they are now, just because half the time Daniel Craig is recovering from an injury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, with these Bond films. Well, I mean, it's just, it's like, I think it's because it, I think it's arguably because of Die Another Day, right? Die Another Day was so heavy on the CGI and the green screen and the less practical effects. Like, what is Bond, what's his fight? Like, he his fencing match in Die Another yeah. Day? Yeah, like, that's, that's it. it, right? Yeah. And it's clearly someone else like for certain for a bunch of it like when he does that bunch of goal, it, yeah like that's not yeah. sorry that's but, that's the most of that's a lot of uh roger moore ones too so <laughs> so i mean after that they were like no we gotta ground him we gotta make it real we gotta make it you know and that well, was that's, that's that's the, see was, the daniel craig versions of these movies are in direct response to the Austin Powers movies and the Born the Born movies, yeah, right. The Born movies for sure because same thing. It's, it's like, like okay, Born's doing this, we got to do this, and it's funny because Bond movies in general are so reactive in that sense because then you know in uh, in the seventies you have that with Moonraker where Star Wars is a big deal, and then they just said, hey, we're gonna do Moonraker, which if you read the book. Nobody goes to space. It's a very simple one of those dynamic of this guy's rocket and it's got like some sort of nuclear power and he's going to try and take over the world with the rocket sort of deal. It's very basic. Right. So Moonraker, the movie comes out and they're like, hey, let's go. Let's actually put Bond in space. So that's what they did there. It was an obvious, an attempt and a direct response of you know, doing, of, of going some way and connecting with Star Wars. Funny enough, if you look in the background, if you're watching the video, <laughs> I'm surrounded by Star Wars things. But that being said, it just, it's, it's amazing how much they've actually reacted to certain things. And the Bond universe, in terms of the way the stories and the films sort of ebb and flow, because you'll do this with, they'll do this with the Bonds in the sense that Sean Connery was a little bit more gritty, a little bit more of a tough guy sort of thing. Then you move it to, to Roger Moore, who's a li little bit more of a suave sort of debonair, used his um, charm a lot more. And then to Timothy Dalton, where again, you go back to that sort of tough guy, gritty sort of character. And then you get it again with the whole thing of your... Um, you know, with Pierce Brosnan being suave and gritty and all that instead instead of gritty, and then you get it back with Daniel Craig. Yeah, yeah, man, that's a 
I mean, that's pretty solid. See, yeah. it, it's so weird because, I mean, again, I never watched Moonraker. I didn't watch, uh, mm-hmm. well, I didn't watch the T-Doll the ones. But uh, There's only two. It's, it's weird how, like, Bond was a trendsetter in the spy game, but then he's, then he has to catch up in plots. Yeah. Or then oh, he has yeah. to. Or they have to follow trends mm-hmm. in terms of plot. You know, it's very it's very strange uh, to see that. You know, when you get to that that point. Well, it's a franchise that's been around. It's 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 a franchise that's been around for five plus decades now. And the thing is, is they've hit these moments where they have to react to what's popular in the world. Yeah, right. But I mean, at the same time, like any spy spy movie or spy stories like they're all good like there's probably a million of them that are similar and they all owe their existence to the bond franchise if you think about it but i mean i would honestly be even curious because like i don't know if mi6 is a real thing it is it's what it's the actual name for the british intelligence right no no sorry you know what i wasn't thinking mi6 i was thinking uh like if a double o agent is a real thing that I don't, I couldn't tell you, but at least like the whole idea right. of the operatives is definitely real. Right. Cause their MI6 is almost like the CIA or the FBI. It's, it, it is. It's essentially the same thing. So I think arguably MI6 is actually the oldest intelligence agency or is it the CIA? I can't remember. It's gotta be up there. Regardless. It, it's one of the older intelligence agencies for sure. Yeah. So but it, it's, I, I mean, if you just looked probably in the history of the MI6, they probably have a bunch of stories that would make killer movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. if you literally just put Bond against, like, a regular terrorist or a, a plot for whatever, like, so and something that's realistic, too. Like, this actually happened, like. You can just put Bond in there and make it exciting. Like you'd be fine. Instead of saying, "Okay, let's let's go to the moon," or let's uh, have a satellite that shoots lasers or sun rays and have everything done in the Arctic. Like you don't need to do that, you know, because that's that's silly. <laughs> but nowadays, I guess the thing with what we have now is, I mean, I meant to ask you this. Okay. This is this is this isn't Goldfinger per se, but we're since Ron Bond. Mm-hmm. Like, how important do you think it is that No Time to Die has to be good? Um, it's probably got to be massive. In terms of the Bond franchise, you mean, or just in general? Well, just I, I would say because I think at this point. Like, cause you know, for, because for for a movie to completely just blow up the Bond franchise, it has to be like completely ter- like utterly terrible. Even like Die Another Day was close to doing it, and even that didn't screw it up. You know what I mean? So there have been some bad movies in this franchise. But like for example, Goldeneye had a lot riding on it. If it wasn't good, they were gonna halt the series for like who knows how long. You know, maybe 
Well, it had already been halted for however many years. I mean, I think it was I mean, like five years, right? Like five or six years. At that, but you're 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 also looking at an era where the Bond films are coming off of just being out for like you know less than three year hiatuses, right? And but then so, you know, but so what I mean is like this is going to be, I'd say ninety percent, maybe ninety five percent. This is Daniel Craig's last bond coming up right like right. that's it there's no more he's up there he's been broken and beaten up so many times this is the actor not even the character <laughs> like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and because the because specter was arguably i don't want to say a failure but it was disappointing it was a dud you know? it wasn't great i mean it i enjoyed great. it i enjoyed it but i see here's the thing though what I enjoyed about it or what a lot of a lot of Bond fans kind of like about it or like super Bond fans in the sense that it goes back to the old Bond tropes that we kind of missed in this in this series compared to, you know, as much as I love the Daniel Craig ones, there, there was always something that feeling of something was missing. Now, this sort of takes it back to that. But I will agree there are certain things that just don't fit in this universe that they've built for for bond yeah well right. like the the it's not there were certain things yeah that were great in it like for example that opening scene inspector was fantastic right like that whole setup in new orleans whatever that was amazing it was great but the movie itself the plot the execution had so much potential and it kind of fell flat yeah, I think part of it is due to the fact of just the way almost um, Christoph Waltz's Blofeld kind of fell flat and it just didn't work as well as we'd hoped. Because I, I think I said this to you too, where we were, you know, audience were expecting, you know, something to be as sinister and villainous as... Um, his uh his villain in inglorious bastards but you know blofeld wasn't as sinister for whatever reason it just didn't work as well and it could have been just writing or just the way things went right yeah yeah so, <laughs> I, guess, so I guess i think i mean because this is going to be daniel craig's last bond but because of you know everything that's happened in the world I feel like kind of needs to be good, you know? Oh yeah. But again, so like, but this bond franchise, it really doesn't matter in, in the end of the day because it is so successful over the last 50 years. Right. Um, there's one thing I actually wanted to mention that we didn't talk about yet. And uh, it's that scene of where bond is tied to that laser tied on the table to that laser in Goldfinger. Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> there is so like, so I don't know if you know, but when they actually shot that scene, right, there was a guy under the table with like an acetylene cutting torch cutting into this steel table as Sean Connery is laying there. So essentially that look of fear and concern, let's say, on his face is solely based on the fact that, you know, there is a cutting torch uh, that close to his area. 
so to speak. So there's that whole scene where he finally, you know, where they have that whole exchange and he's like, do you, can you afford to take the chance of my predecessor knowing as much as I know type of thing? Right. I mean, we could do the whole scene and it'd be fun, but we won't. And it's just where Goldfinger talks to his team, looks back at bond on the table, talks to his team again, looks back at bond. And that whole scene takes like what a minute that exchange alone and the music is going, and it's like you see the, the close-up on Connery's eyes, <laughs> just the, the, the so nonchalant, just sort of, yeah, whatever sort of thing between Goldfinger and his team. And, <laughs> you know, the guy under the table, hopefully he can hear when someone says, hey, stop. <laughs> and this, this, this cut, this, uh, this flame just inching closer and closer towards Sean Connery's groin, it's just it's such real suspense because if you know it's real, which essentially it is when you think about it, they're in the middle of, it's, it's a pretty dangerous and messed up situation. <laughs> yeah. That's and when it, it was really like, adds to the drama of that scene. So it's like, wow, he's a really good actor. No, his nuts are about to be burned off. <laughs> they're about to just let loose. Yeah. That's, that was who that's crazy. When they it made works, it. right? It works so well too, but it, it works because it's real. Yeah. No, it's it just does. the flame is not coming from the top; it's coming from underneath the table. So the guy that's rocking that torch cannot see what the hell he's doing. He just has been told to follow a straight line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that's literally all it was, and oh my gosh! I mean, yeah, that was it. And it, the thing is, that scene alone too is like a staple of the bond franchise yo like, yeah i mean uh, the simpsons have parodied, parodied so much now twice at least but i think the simpsons did it at least twice yeah it, like itchy and scratchy they did it with scorpio you know <laughs> do you expect me to talk scorpio no i expect you to die and have a cheap funeral <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, after that little tangent that we've gone on and little bits about Goldfinger, it's now come to the time in the program where we give it a rating out of five ginger snaps. So, Josh, what do you rate 1964's Goldfinger? Uh, I will go... I'm debating. I'll go... Uh, I think a four. Okay. I think, uh, a four. I think it's, you know, just for Connery's... Um, acting and his his performance alone is great. Uh, I liked the plot between uh, for Goldfinger. I liked, you know, his plot wasn't super megalomaniac kind of thing, but it was smart with the whole trying to, you know, make his to make money. Like it was an old school villain, you know, and it was. I think it was just done well. I, I enjoyed it. Top. To, it, it goes by fast. And it's got classic scenes, you know, between that Bond moment, between, you know, the whole woman covered in gold paint. Like, it all it all works. It all it's works. iconic throughout the entire franchise sort of thing. It's like the benchmark. But there, but there are certain things that I'm yeah. like, ah, that didn't age well. You know, man talk, <laughs> stuff like that. Man talk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a handful of things that just don't age well in this movie. I'm going to go with a four and a half mainly because of my love for the franchise, my love for this specific movie 
considering it's the first one that got me on this journey that is Bond fandom, right? It's yeah. the first one I've ever seen, like, since I was a kid. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia factor there for me anyways. Um, there's the fact, like, uh, and then on top of that, like, crit- critique-wise, again, it's around the same reasons why I love it. I think Connery's performance of this is amazing. He plays it so well. I do really like the way that Goldfinger just is so menacing for a guy whose dialogue is completely dubbed over. <laughs> right. And even odd job with his hat. Oh that yeah. Hat, that hat is amazing. Odd job, man. <laughs> Random task. Show them what you do. <laughs> but yeah, it's what he is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just find it funny though they didn't bother to have anybody speaking Korean in it. All odd job does is ah ah. Yeah, Even when he's speaking to other Koreans, yeah, or what supposedly are supposed to be other Koreans, yeah, <laughs> he's just grunting. So I mean that's that's the 1960s for you, but <laughs> uh, aside from that and you know the stuff that hasn't aged well, I mean this is still arguably one of the best and probably the most iconic bonds. Yeah, it's the one you think of right away when you think of Bond. When you, when when you really get down to it, right? Because it's got that iconic scene of him tied to that table. It's got the girl in the gold paint, which they've, you know, sort of paid homage to in uh, Quantum of Solace when that girl was covered in oil on the bed in the exact same position. So there's a lot going on there, right? And it's just it's arguably one of the best in the series out of like 25 movies so that's huge within it itself yeah yeah for sure solid man anyways joshy son of a (laughs) where can where can our friends find our stuffs look for us on Instagram at gingerflixpod, on Twitter at flixpod, and uh, YouTube at gingerflix. And remember that flix is always spelled with that X. Thank you again, guys. I'm uh, for gingerflix. I'm Joey. I'm Josh. And we will see you all soon. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 